Hello, I'm Sarah Connolly and tonight I'm talking to Helen Wyman. You probably know her as one of the funniest people on social media in terms of cycling and also this awesome person, cyclocross superstar, British crit star. Helen, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Sarah. How are you? I'm great. It's your, it, I say it's evening, but you're actually in the States right now, aren't you? I am. It's, yeah, three o'clock in the afternoon. It's a sweaty afternoon. <laughs> a very sweaty Vermontian afternoon, but yeah. Vermont, is it beautiful? Is it all like full colours and stunningly gorgeous? No, it, it normally, but it is crazy hot at the minute. It was, um, I did Green Mountain Stage Race this last weekend and it was 34 degrees <gasps> on Tuesday, on Monday um, for the crew. It was ridiculous and like humidity is like 98% and it's just, it's just sweaty. Yesterday I had four showers and I didn't do any training, I had a day off, so. <laughs> so yeah. And you're a kind of mud-loving cyclocross British woman, that must be weird. It is pretty hot, yeah. It's hotter than we had in Belgium this year, for sure. <laughs> well, it's supposed you... to be Vermont. It's supposed to be, like, rains every day and stuff, and yeah. Well, at least you get a summer. That's an advantage. This is true. I bought two pairs of jeans with me. I haven't worn either yet. Excellent. <laughs> so, you, you, this is your now traditional summer um, USA spell. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're out there to do and what you've been doing and what you're going to do? Um, well, normally we come out around this time um so we're normally here for the first week of september but um the guy we stay with tried to convince me to do green mountain stage race which is is a really good race um and we watched it before and so this year he's like yeah you have to do it you have to do it so i eventually caved and because the team didn't have any um racing at the, the steph's uh, matrix team didn't have any racing on so i was like okay we'll come early and we'll do that and uh in it it yeah it was good but we come out here for the cross and this year Vegas is um, the first World Cup on the 16th of September. It's super early so it was really important for me to come out and acclimatise a, a lot earlier than usual because it's a World Cup, you know, it's there's this year for the first year ever there's 20,000 euros for the winner of the overall World Cup. Oh my god! <laughs> um, the overall prize fund has doubled so it's gone from 45,000 euros to 90,000 for the, for the final you know, the final class classification. Um, and I, that, that's a lot of money, you know, mm. <laughs> that's a lot of money to, to race for. And, and we're now down to 15 places in the world cup overall. So from, um, 10 last year. So, you know, it's really, it's worth doing and it's worth doing well. So my season has been slightly different this year to try and adjust to that really early world cup. Whereas normally the first world cup is the first weekend of October. Yeah, I mean, you're quite interested. Cyclocross is interesting. Last year, Sana Kant was talking about how she doesn't like that some riders don't ride the full cross season, but, you know, just kind of come in at, like, key times around the world. Yeah. But you, you're you one of these riders who rides all the way through. I mean, what what's your thoughts? Was Sana right? Or is it just, well, that's just how people are? I think it's really tough. I think it's really tough because, you know, you see it, you see it in the men as well. Like, um, Stybar was world champion. Um not this year, but the year before. And he didn't really start until December because he couldn't. And when you start in December and you're already one of the best riders in the world when you do focus on it, you're actually a lot fitter. So we all start the season in September and you're racing every single week. There's this year, there's a Super Prestige um, overall, a B-Post overall, the World Cup overall. Um, there's National Championships, European Championships, World Championships. There's a Sudal Classics. Wow. So there's a lot of, of classification races to race for. And so you've got to be good the whole year round mm. in order to get to be consistent. And so it's really hard for you to take time out to go away and go on an endurance block. And so you actually find that the cross riders are a lot um, uh, more cross fit and more cross prepared and skills wise are fantastic in January but their endurance level is probably a third less than it was in September, just because you don't have the opportunity to, to train, mm -hmm. to go away somewhere to train. You know, you live in Belgium, it's raining, it's two degrees. Belgium's the only country in the world where it can rain at minus five. Every <laughs> other it snows. Uh, so it's like, yeah, it's like the grimmest place in the world. So not obviously I love Belgium. I take that back. <laughs> but the weather <laughs> in the winter is just terrible. So it is really hard to get, you know, four or five hour rides in, in that, those kind of conditions. And so, yeah, riders like Prevost or, or Voss, and Voss not so much, she starts quite early, but 
um, or Stybar did, can go away, can train hard, can be so fit. And they're naturally very skillful. They've got all that preparation already. And then they drop in and, yeah, kick our butts. <laughs> but hey, equally, um, Sana could have won that World Championships. She, when I watched it back, she was so close to it. And if she'd made one, one different corner at the top before the descent, she would have still had a gap. And there's no doubt in my mind she would have won. So... You you know, and she races every single race. She never leaves Belgium. So I still think it's possible to be a full-time cross rider and beat those that just use fitness. So Yeah. I mean, I guess the other thing is, is that no matter, how, you know, like you say, they've got the skills because, I mean, something like Pauline Fran-Provost, I think she started in, in Namur, didn't she? And... I, I kind of feel like even if even if she had the best fitness, you can't beat you can't beat your uh, Mariana Vosses, Sonna Kuntz, Katie Compton's, you, uh, you know, uh, Sabrina Salty and Sophie Deborge and Nikki just on fitness. <laughs> You've got to have the skills, haven't you? No, no. I mean, uh, Vosses uh, rides like a man. You know, she technically she's incredible. Sana last year stepped it up from being a really good technical rider to being riding like a dude. Um, so are we allowed to say that? Is that like PC or something? She she rides, she actually rides like she attacks um, descent. She attacks obstacles. She she really really focused on her skills last summer and and as a result, yeah, she won like twenty three races or something. Um, and so yeah, they you know they are incredibly nash, incredibly skillful. Um, I think the riders know so. Someone like Provo has to come in in Narman time because they know that they may have better skills than half the peloton, but at the same time, they're a little bit rusty on it. You know, they wouldn't have raced since September, so yeah. that's two months. of, And you do get a bit rusty from not racing it. It's, it's fine to go out and train and train as hard as you can and train with other people that are better than you, but racing it is something completely different and you, you make stupid mistakes that you shouldn't make because the race you're it's really hard to replicate that naturally high heart rate, hard workout. You're actually screwing yourself the whole time. And when you get fatigued, you make stupid mistakes because you're, it's not natural to you. So. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, Fran Provo just, she's just won the mountain bike World championships and now has the yeah, three average. jerseys. Yeah. <laughs> average. I'm pretty sure that she doesn't like the rubber bank kit. <laughs> that's it she doesn't want to wear it so she's like yeah if I win it at Worlds then I'll get a stripy white kit and then I'll never have to wear orange I don't know maybe I like orange but we said that about Mariana Voss when the Netherlands Blewett kit had like teeny tiny little cows and sheep and tractors and, and there was a when she there was a picture of her announcing the kit and someone in Podium Cafe said yeah that's the smile of a woman who knows she's never going to have to wear this terrible yeah. kit <laughs> I don't remember it being that bad Oh, I loved it. I really wish I, if I could buy a kit, I'd have that one, that kind of proper full on little baby cows and stuff on it. That was my favourite kit ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, speaking of kits, <laughs> say yeah. nicely. Yeah. I've, I've heard, I've heard you've got your own kit out. Um, well, I've seen it. It's beautiful, Helen. It's really nice. It is. It's really nice. It's really cool. It's, it's bright, but like quite classy at the same time and uh yeah it's really really nice and at the minute only the shorts and jersey are out and there's an over jersey and there's a set of um of warm-up tights that are um coming out and they're zip legs but they're bibs with little clips on them so they're really functional and they're really comfortable and they're working with Polartec technology so they're wind and water resistant um so they're warm as well and they'd be really good they're not just for pre-riding a race or for the start line they're actually really good if you know you go out on a muddy day and you come back in the winter and you're in your garage and you're covered in mud you can just take these off and all of the mud falls on your garage floor and then you can go inside and get you don't have to put mud through your house so they're actually because they're that comfortable you can just train for hours in them as well so yeah, I mean, there is a collaboration with Velocio Apparel, the Velocio.cc, isn't it? I mean, how, how did that happen? Um, uh, through a friend, really. Um, they were looking to expand into a different market, um, and they're obviously very focused on women's cycling, um, sponsoring the women's pro team. And, um, and, yeah, so 
we kind of just everyone was looking at the right time that kind of happens to me in life it's quite cool <laughs> I, like, I just like at the time when I'm looking for something something crops up you know so like with my Kona thing originally um I was looking for a cross team and um Wendy Sims was um an 18-time Canadian national champion um, she'd actually reached number one in the world. This is when Canadian nationals were before the first World Cup and the world ranking came out after the first World Cup. Uh-huh. So she was, the, the rules have changed since then, but she was world number one, so which was really cool. And uh, and she actually happened to get pregnant at the time that I was looking for a team. <laughs> and so it was like, well, they've got a space. And, you know, <laughs> I there you were. And it was like connecting the right people and boom. <laughs> yeah, but I always believe that you make your own luck. You know, like like it's it's lucky that, you know, you're in the right place at the right time. But part of that is actually yeah. about putting yourself in the right place, in it, And putting yourself out there. And also having the, the wider things that a team like Kona would want. Because you've got... You know, you've got always had that excellent presence and that. You know, you're 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 much you're a very great good rider, but you're you're more interesting because you have you know the wider dimension of yourself. Let me just flatter you some. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Do, do, do you know what I mean? It's like I feel like you're. I feel like yeah, these things happen to you, but I think they probably happen because you put yourself out there in interesting ways. Potentially, and also, um, um, I. I, I am who I am. I, I try not to be anything different. Um, and I I try to be the person that I am with everybody. Sometimes it's hard because you don't know how this person is, is coming into the interaction. You know, if someone already thinks, oh, I don't know if I like her, and then then it's a bit awkward. But um, I try to be just the person that I am, and, and that's who I am. But equally, I do have um, Steph behind me who's very good at social media, and he's incredibly good at um, at getting out there the things that that we do and the things that make us who we are. So um, so yeah, like we were probably the first people in cross in Europe to have Twitter. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember setting up our Twitter account in um, in our friend um, John Salami's house in in Portland, in Oregon, because it was huge over here already. And this was the first year I joined Kona. This was five years, five or six years ago, six years ago, something like that. And it was like, well, no one had ever heard of Twitter in England. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Steph's always ahead of stuff like that, which which obviously can help my profile. But then, when, I, I don't know, I don't know, maybe I am just that amazing that people... <laughs> <laughs> I'm that wonderful. <laughs> well, I, think, I mean, I think because I mean, like I, I say this a lot, but you were the first rider to talk to me on Twitter, you know, which which I think a lot of people have said the same thing, and and that was and and you know and that was when when there weren't that many, and you know, you kind of I guess also people not really understanding not, not you, but you know, in general, people not really understanding why you talk to people and why you talk to fans, and I think because you're coming from a sport, both cyclocross and women's cycling, that. You know, it doesn't have the benefits of like massive amount. You know, you can't just turn on TV. You know, well, I guess you can in Belgium, but you can't turn on TV in England and see it. Well, you couldn't then. Do you know what no. I mean? It feels like yeah. it, it feels like it was quite brave of you because we could have all been scary stalkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't met any scary stalkers yet. Touch like, word. <laughs> one of my bucket list things is to have like a friendly stalker, like a nice stalker, not like a psycho, but one that like. Yeah, a friendly stalker, but I don't know. I've never had one. Do you have? People uh, like, like, I guess probably a good thing. Do you have people like Miranda Vries has, where she says that you know she has people like writing her letters and emails, asking her for her used skin suits and stuff. They, yeah, you, you do get more money for a skin suit that hasn't been washed. It's pretty gross. Oh, but <laughs> I mean, to be fair, in Belgium there are um, some. Um, how do you put it? Not quite not not quite what yeah you'd probably like shout strange danger if you <laughs> if you met them on the street as a child so there's a few people like that and there's not very many of them but there are a few and they come around and they collect postcards and they take these postcards and you really don't want to know what they do with them <laughs> you just stop. and so uh rich um rich mitch rich mitchelson made us a uh, um, one of his little bobblehead type people yeah 
Um, and we turned that into a postcard two years ago, and it really confused the postcard collectors, and it was brilliant. It made me giggle every time I handed one out to them, because you know they're not collecting them because it's a cool thing to do. They're collecting them and exchanging them with their mates and yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So it's like when the kids come along, the kids think it's cool, but yeah, there are there are a few people that you wouldn't want to stalk you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so those I tell you, tell you what, so people basically have to send their CV in to Stefan to be uh, yeah. to be ranked before they can be allowed to be your your friendly stalker. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't need a stalker. I'm good. I'm okay. all good. <laughs> so you're out in the states, and obviously Cross Vegas is huge. Can you tell us, um, for people who have never watched Cross Vegas or who don't know about American Cyclocross, what's Cross Vegas like? Um, it is on a like a um, American football um, kind of big pitch thing, um, and the grass is really weird because obviously it's a desert, and everything in Vegas is not real, um, <laughs> and so the, this grass is like it's really kind of tacky, and it's really kind of sticky. Like, you get to a corner and you have to pedal because if you free will, you just stop. <laughs> so it's actually a really tough course. Um, it's a really great venue because you can see a lot if you go watch. Um, it's been running a long time. Brooke, um, who runs it, has always invested in the women as well as the men. He's, like, one of the first promoters to have equal prize money at his event. Um, and he's always had top women. You know, last year I was on the start line and... There was um, Catherine Pendrell was there as world mountain bike champion. Yeah. Um, there was Nash, Compton, me. Um, there was like uh, probably 20, 20 of the, the very best Americans. Um, and it was really, really a fantastic event. He's always put money into getting good riders there and things, men and women. So um, it's the um, atmosphere the actual weather atmosphere is the weirdest thing you've ever raced in. It's so hot. It's like 40 degrees in the day, but at nighttime it's still hot, but it's so dry. Mm -hmm. It's really, really weird conditions, but um, it's the same for everyone. And our race is at 8.15 and I think the men's is at 9.15 maybe because it's too hot during the day to, to run the race. Um, and yeah, it's a really great atmosphere. It's a great race. It's a, a fair course. It's yeah. It's good. It should be fun. And it'll be really interesting to see how the Europeans ride it. <laughs> it's so exciting. I mean, it's really, it is very exciting how the World Cup is expanding outside of Europe. And, you know, yeah, it's a real shame we lost Montreal this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that would have been a really good thing because then you're coming over here for two races. It's, you know, it, it gives Canada a chance to have the first World Cup as well. It's, yeah, we were back up to eight World Cups, which was we only had six or seven last year. So it's a shame, but equally, yeah, there's nothing you can really do about it. It's the problem is that the sport is so commercial in um, Belgium and even Holland. Um, it's so commercial. It's so well funded. It's so well um, driven by sponsorship and and organisers and professional organisers. It's actually harder for other countries to put on a legitimate World Cup because it already costs you 40,000 euros to just say you want to put one on. Wow. So <laughs> it's like, I mean, I'm sure there's a way to change that. I'm sure there's a way to make it more accessible to, to globalise the sport. But um, while it is that much, I, I think they estimated it was about 300,000 euros to put on Milton Keynes World Cup. Wow. Wow, I mean, Milton Keynes was wonderful. It was a really, really great day, and so exciting to have cyclocross. It was like it was like a big party. Do you know what I mean? Just from yeah. all these cross fans just getting to cheer in our own country. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic, and you did have well, there was um, more spectators than there was at Coxider. So really, yeah, it's not that it wasn't a success, and it's not that the organisers didn't make a success of it. It's just that you know that's a lot of money to invest in a sport when you don't have. At the World Championships in Hugerheide, um, they had uh, a beer sponsor. So the guy, the guy that ran it, is uh, is on the Cyclocross Commission, and he uh, he had this beer sponsor. And 
they run out of beer on the second day or like on Saturday. <laughs> so it was like, oh, the beers were open on Friday as well. And they run out of beer on Saturday and they got all of the beer for free as part of their sponsorship. And they were selling it for like two euros, 50 a, a glass, a cup thing. And you can, if you're good at maths, you could work out exactly how much money they got just off of beer. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the kind of thing that, that every European, every Belgian promoter has, you know, to hand. So, um, and then on top, they obviously have gate fees, which are 15 to 20 euros per race per person. And most races have 15 to 20,000 spectators. And so, you know, there are ways to make back the money in Europe, whereas, um, yeah, it's, it's a struggle for out countries outside, which is, which is a problem to make the sport more global. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, of course, Milton Keynes had this problem where the park that they had it in has said no because they're having rugby rugby events on in the summer. They said right on on in the winter, in the autumn they're saying no, we can't have cyclocross as well, didn't they? Yeah, which is yeah. just one of those bad luck things. <laughs> yeah, and I mean they they overcommitted to it um, apparently. So the the rugby World Cup they they're not actually having a round. Well, they have one round played in Milton Keynes, but they have to provide. Um, a venue for every round for people to watch on a big screen and that's basically what the problem is yeah yeah which makes you wonder I mean I can understand watching Wimbledon on a big screen because that's well I mean apart from the fact it always rains in Wimbledon yeah (laughs) but you know I'm kind of like yeah there might be less of a audience for standing in the mud and the rain (laughs) to watch on a big screen when you can watch it in the pub yeah or at home or Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. That's that's the nature of sport, isn't it? Yeah. Um, You mentioned the Cyclocross Commission, and obviously you've been working hard on that. And one of the things that's just been announced in the last month or so was the new um, under-23 women's category at the World Championships, which is something you've been pushing for. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we had the European Championships two years ago, started with the first youth category for women which is under 23 Mm. um and then um zolda will have the first women's under 23 it was almost possible to have it in the czech republic but it was a bit late to to put it down because you know um countries don't put their budget for the world championships in advance don't they so yeah 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 yeah. and you get it takes you have to get your sponsorship lined up way early don't you and you have to get all your hotels booked and everything because yeah. it's a big thing. And so, and also the Czech Republic is a long way for all of Northern Europe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, countries like Great Britain wouldn't necessarily have the budget in place to take yeah. youth riders as well. So um, Zolda is one of the best places to start because it's so central. It's only two hours from Calais. It's only an hour from Holland. It's only, maybe not even an hour from Holland. You know, it's it's an hour from parts of Germany it's 20 minutes to Luxembourg yeah 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 (laughs) it's so close and even to France it's you know it's close so it it was a good one to start it at um Belgium have um traditionally Belgium and Holland have traditionally had really strong um junior and under 23 fields in Holland they actually have junior and under 23 races separate races but races that are run like start after the women or something like that but they have their own category and there's there's maybe I think they had 30 women at Belgium juniors um uh, sorry at the Dutch junior national championships this year for cross they had like 30 women so you should be rewarding the countries that are already ahead in those discipline in that discipline so um yeah hopefully it will grow I mean I don't know the first year, you'll probably get maybe 30 riders at the World Championships. Um, but I've always thought that when you're 16 years old and your first World Championships, if you're you're good enough, like a Miramella this year, she was 17, and she raced the World Championships, and she was around 35th-ish, something like that, mm. in the elite women's World Championships. But if she was... She she can see hope in that because that you know when you're 17 years old it's like wow that's a really good result, but why shouldn't she be able to race for the win at 17 years old, equivalent to her male counterpart who is racing for a win at 17? So 
she would have actually been like fifth in the under 23 category if it was last year and there's no reason why she can't be in the top five this year there's no reason why Hannah Payton can't be in the top 10 this year um and that should be something that encourages you because you've got something to race for you've got a title to race for you can as an elite rider you can say yeah I was world under 23 youth I was world youth champion it's like that's something really cool that and if we can spread it out into the World Cup and then drop it down into the lower category to the C1, C2 category races, then you're actually creating a whole new division and people don't have to get battered week in, week out by Voss and Kant and Compton and all those riders that are super strong themselves. And they can actually, it will keep them in the sport because they've got something to aim for each week. And it so. also, I think it also helps people who don't develop so fast because, I mean, you look at Fran Prevot and she was two times junior mountain bike world champ and one time yeah. on the road and I think she maybe an ITT and it but it's taken her like it's taken her like five years before she four or five years before she started winning do you know what I mean like she started yeah. winning her first world cups in the road and, and mountain bike last year and she won her first world championships but that's because she's had those you know four or five years development yeah and and so she's she should come through the juniors, the under 23. She should be able to race against riders of her ability, yeah. of her age. She shouldn't have to be racing against the elites as soon as you turn 16. Like, there were actually 15 year olds racing in the elite women's because it's your year age yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. They are 16 in the six months of the cross season, but they're still 15 when they yeah. are racing us. And that's not, that's not right, really. No, and I mean, and it's also important. I mean, and it's that. It's a category that you have to give time to. It's a category that you say, okay, you know, there might be small numbers at the beginning. It might affect the elite. You never know. But let's look back in five years and let's see how much of a success it was. And and mountain biking did the same thing. And at first it struggled. But now they have 50, 60 riders in junior worlds. Yeah. So, you know, that's a success. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and actually, um, you know, with downhill, I think they had seven riders in, I think it was last year's junior downhill world champs. But right. one of them was Tani Seagrave, who's, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, who's, who's, yeah. who's gone on to kind of be, have, be, on, the World Cup, be on the World Cup podium. But yeah. for every rider who's like Voss or like Seagrave or whatever, who can come out of juniors and go straight into, this, into, into the elite, you've got riders like on the road, you know, Lucy Garner. Who yeah. is 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 the first to say that she struggled in her first? You know, I mean, in, yeah. on the road, you've got you going from junior gears to to senior gears. The difference yeah. in your just the difference in the in this time you race. You know, Lucy was saying yeah. that you know just going from junior distances to senior, to elite distances meant that she had to change everything up. Sometimes it is annoying. Like last year's mountain bike under twenty three worlds was Fran Prevot versus Yolanda Neff, which was more exciting than the you know than the, <laughs> than the elite women. However, this year Yolanda Neff got special dispensation to race against the elite women, even though she's under twenty three. So it's not like it's you know do, do you know what I mean? It's like there's some common sense there, isn't there? Yeah, and the same goes for um, men's this year, um, one and two. Well, in fact, the elite men's world championship podium had a lower average age. In the under 23 men's <laughs> podium so it's like like uh Vanderpoel and um Wout Van Aert both got elected themselves to become elite and now they're elite for the rest of their career they can't go back again mm. um, yeah. but they're winning races why shouldn't they and and Vanderpoel becomes world champion so yeah. I mean Paul Lars Van der Haar is like 22 23 and he's like the oldest dude on there <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's good but it's good isn't it because not everyone you know your bodies change and people change and and it also gives permission for people who I don't know say you've been a runner or something and you've hurt your ankle or whatever you've hurt your I don't know whatever you know, you know the injury that runners suffer and then they could turn to cycling it gives you permission to kind of do that as well like you don't have to be in the sport since you were six years old on the boys side you know you know what I mean like it just gives you a chance to kind of come into it or you know you started off as a trackie and now you're going to do cyclocross instead you know you don't have to be bang I, I just love it it makes me happy I'm very happy so thank you so I mean <laughs> what's your next plans for the cyclocross commission what are you going to be hitting up with for ch next changes well um that, well, we have to um, reassess the old feeding rule. Yeah, um, that's caused quite a lot of uh, controversy in America. And uh, you read some things, and you think, like, yeah. Uh, I mean, I put myself in this position. I wanted to be on the cross commission. I want to make a difference. But 
when that rule came up in the commission, it was kind of like, okay, so there's loads of carnage in the pits when you feed. So in cross, you're allowed to take a bottle, but you're only allowed to take it in the pit, mm-hmm. which was the rule last year. But the pit is where you change your bikes. Yeah. And yeah, on, on fast, hot days, the temperature had to be over 20 degrees. And on fast, hot days, you don't really change your bike very much. But the, the pit is a place... When you come into the pit, it's like, are you getting a bottle? Are you getting a bike? Your mechanic was never entirely sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you, people were using the pits to actually go faster because yeah. you're allowed to feed after two laps. And so you'd go in, you'd all oh, miss your bottle, and then bottle's on the floor, but you're faster and you're now in front of the group as you get out. Yeah, yeah. So there's the carnage of people changing bikes and getting water. There's the carnage of people actually being a bit naughty on the rule. There's the also the fact that people weren't entirely sure. In America, a lot of races do a half-lap start. And you're not allowed to feed until two laps have gone and with two to go. But if you've done a half-lap start, is that two and a half laps or is that one and a half lap? <laughs> so there was incidents of people getting fined and disqualified in different races because of it, because of the half-lap thing. Mm. Um, and it was just becoming too much. So um, it was a topic of discussion. And... Um, the discussion basically came to the point where we said, okay, well, um, if you just ban hand-ups, there's no hand-ups on the course anyway, so just ban bottles being handed up. So riders can start with a bottle on their bike and in their pocket with a camelback, or you can have a bike on your pit bike, uh, a bottle on your pit bike. Yeah. So then you're so, changing, so you're, you're doing a, leg- a legitimate so change, even though... A legitimate bike way. change, which is slower than actually riding on the outside like you know you're not actually using the pit to an advantage to make you faster you're you change the bike so um but unfortunately there was a misinterpretation of the rule in rochester this last weekend when it was really crazy hot i mean it's it's crazy hot here but it was the same you know 35 degrees and uh people shouldn't be racing cross in those temperatures but um That's a joke. No, no. <laughs> um, it was really hot, and um, they said that you weren't allowed. To, you weren't allowed to have a bottle on your spare bike. So all, all these people were trying to change and get a bottle, and they're like, "No, you'll get fined if you do that," which isn't the rules. So um, the next day, um, they uh, a few of the riders contacted me, and I spoke to them. And um, so the next day, they went back to the commissary and said, "No, look, you know." this is right and he said oh well it's not what the UCI and USA Cycling said to me but we'll allow you to feed anyway because it's that hot and uh, and then there's all this thing on social media about it's dangerous to the riders and it's dangerous to their health and in that situation it is but that's not the rule <laughs> the rule is just that you can't take a bottle in your hand the rule isn't that your bike can't have your bike could have 40 bottles attached to it if you wanted it yeah, to yeah, yeah. you can have the ones under the saddle and the ones on <laughs> your bike you can have them on the stem anywhere you want um and so the rule isn't to to hinder people and so i read stuff on social media and maybe i, I shouldn't um but at the same time you know people say oh the uci are all about commercialism and they don't care about the riders and and stuff like that and and i can genuinely say that that's not in our commission that's really not the case and and i know it's different on others i know it's different on the road people have told me told me about road commission but the uh, <laughs> in cross it we genuinely want to make the sport better and we genuinely want to make it work better for everybody and and yeah there are, are different people with different ideas on it you know there's me and sven of, as riders there's um um peter and but as ex-riders and but Bart's also um a uh the world cup um like he makes the courses and makes sure the courses are safe and that kind of thing and uh there's a name for it but I can't remember <laughs> and then there's a race organizer and then there's the, the president so it's not that these guys aren't interested in in making it safe for all of us and and I've raced America a lot and I know how hot it gets and I understand that and at the time I didn't think um, the solutions that were provided weren't acceptable to everybody. So the best solution was this rule change. Um, and, you know, I, I can honestly say at no point did it cross my mind, and I'm sure did it cross anyone else's on that commission. I know, let's screw over 
the riders or let's grow over in America, you know, it's not, you don't sit in it, you sit in it to try and, and make positive changes and, yeah. and, you know, on that same day we were discussing equal prize money, we were discussing increasing the women's race length, we were discussing lots of things um, and that was the least controversial <laughs> of the discussion. I can assure you there were some very, very controversial moments. So the... <laughs> Um, I'd love yeah, you to the Helen Wyman secret video. Yeah, no. <laughs> How to get yourself kicked off the commission in one easy step. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the uh, <laughs> and I, I can honestly say that that you know nobody on that commission was like, yeah, let's screw someone over. It was genuinely we need to fix it and we need to make it safe for everybody, and that includes pit crew, and that includes that includes the spectators, and that includes making it fair for everybody. So. This rule will be on the topic of discussion again, and um, it will, I'm sure, it will evolve as all rules do, but, um, yeah, it, it, there's, my, my big bugbear about um, the UCI is probably the lack of transparency and the lack of communication, and I'm pretty sure there would have been no issue this weekend if communication was better. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I was going to say, and the other thing is that you can have the best rule in the world and people are still going to interpret it stupidly because, you know, there's the there's the human factor, isn't it? And yeah. especially if you've got kind of people who are slightly bureaucratically, you know, it's like the people who volunteer to be the health and safety coordinator at work are always the people who should never be allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that, yeah, you could say there's a, a personality type that's interested in, yeah, in, in the rules. Uh, in yeah. rules. But equally, you know, the, I know the commissaire at that race, and he's a good guy. He's a really good commissaire. And in, so I don't think, you know, I think someone told him this is what you have to do, and he's just following what he's being told. And that's yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's where the problem is. The problem is entirely the communication. And if there was, if there's a, 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 you know, after the rules change, rules change in July, nobody reads them. And is that is that the UCI's fault, or is that the riders' fault? You know, is that yeah there's a newsletter comes out every every week or every second week or something from these does anyone i only read the stuff about cross on it and maybe the bit about road or women that's you know i flick through the rest but and i do it because i know i need to be up to date on what what i'm reading but does anybody else read it you know is there is there a better way to create um a, a place where people can air their their problems where people can find out information about the sport as it evolves who can find out all this new stuff without having to read it on a, you know, for the riders and for the managers and for their staff to, to read it without having to read it in, in a, um, on a news website, which obviously has a bias in some way. So, um, that to me, this is the issue in this rule is entirely communication. Yeah. And I mean, and let's face it, the UCI is famously bad at communication. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was interesting because the you know the stuff that you see. They recently had the stuff about the women's world tour roads on the road, yeah. which yeah. Um, Innering sent me the thing that he'd found online. You know that, that I think the Spanish Federation had put up the guide for racers who wanted to be in it, and then someone yeah. else had found the rule change on the UCI thing. But like you couldn't really like, well, whoa, what the fuck is this? You know, there's so much room for interpretation or for kind of craziness yeah. or, or, or conspiracy theories, and I say that as a conspiracy theory theorizer. <laughs> Although yeah. I generally go for you know like how it's like yeah, it's more like to be stupid than deliberate. <laughs> And you do need people to be um, to to volunteer their time to do this stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, and the road commission, um, there was a crazy thing this year. So Seth's got Junior on his team, Lucy Shaw, but she's not on the pro team because apparently you can't have a junior on a pro team anymore, even though in the past you've been able to. Um, and so she's um, for me, um, and. We took her to a point two stage race in Brittany, and um, she wasn't provided dispensation to ride the race with the team, even though it was July. So it's close to Stadier time, um, and it was a point two race. But she could ride the race; she just couldn't ride it for Steph. <laughs> so she, um, Steph, Steph was chat. I know you you laugh, but there's actually a serious side to it because. Steph was Steph then put her on a club team, which was a good club team. Yeah. Um, you can have any mixed club team, no problem. You can have, 
you could go off the street, you could pick six random women and say you're going to this bike race and just put them in. Yeah. But there's no place for a junior. Now, she's 17 years old. She actually turned 18 during the race. And would you want your 18-year-old daughter to be in a structured environment with paid mechanics, paid soigneurs, vetted staff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. do you want them to be in a club environment where, yeah, there are fantastic clubs, but... There are some dodgy ones also, as well. There are some dodgy people out there. And unfortunately, in women's road cycling, there are some people involved in the sport for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And you don't know that they are. I mean, this club team was fantastic. It was a brilliant team, and they really looked after her, and... They communicated really well with Steph and involved Steph in it so that, you know, he knew what was going on. And they had good riders as well. Their their um, Portuguese champion was, like, top top 20 in the Ardesh uh, last week. So, you know, they have good riders. Um, but, and then alongside that, in the same race, there was a, ra- a team that had um, Magawaki um, and they had... Um, Christine Mayeris, mm. and they had another pro from a different pro team. So it was a club team with three pros in it. The yep. same team that went to Ardèche and had two Velocio riders, two... Oh, Sharon Laws, Inca rider, Orica rider. Yeah, they were kind of like a yeah. club team name, but it was all pro riders. Yeah, I don't yeah. get mixed teams on the road. I don't they know. had a million-dollar budget team for free. Mm. And... What's the point? What? How is that useful in any way, shape, or form to the sport going forward? That you give Wiggle don't have to spend the money on taking a team to the race, or Velocio don't have to spend the money on taking a team to a race because some other t- club will pick it up. But when we try and take a junior girl, when Steph tries and takes a junior girl that he's supported all year, that he's promoted all year, that he wants to take onto his pro team, he's not allowed to race them. Yeah, it's yeah. just madness but that's a different side of the sport entirely but equally so when this was going on (laughs) my original point when this was going on Steph was in communication with the um women's commission the person that's in charge of the women's commission um and she was saying that nobody wants to be involved in it and he said well I want to be involved in it why didn't you ask me and and she said oh I didn't know you did it's like you didn't offer the (laughs) other people to be involved in the working groups mm. it's like oh well if you're interested yeah we'll definitely have you on site because we don't know these issues arise because the people you know they did their meeting down in um spain at that world cup or wherever the race was down there which is the same day as um omelette hargeland which where yeah. you know the smaller club team the smaller pro teams are because it's a cheaper budget yeah they have a different budget so they run a a, a smaller program and so the smaller teams didn't get looking, <laughs> basically. Um, and then she's like, wow, you've got really good ideas. Why don't you do this? And so it, it's it's the whole communication thing. It's the whole um, people wanting to be involved but not knowing how to be involved. It's the whole – that that's where I think um, as a cross-commission we can improve. And I think where that's where – well, I think that's where the UCI needs to improve. And I think as a cross-commission that's where we could probably – take that forward and to start with and actually be the people that do it first yeah 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 I mean I noticed that like for example Marianne Voss when she was last year when she was going to one of the women's commissions um she she asked she she put on her twitter on her on her twitter stream hey has anyone got any ideas and I sent her some ideas because why the hell not you know what I mean and she's Mm -hmm. and and, and that's just because she's and then you've done that too I've noticed you do that too but again people have to be like on their twitter at that time don't they to see it and like you're right everyone in the um everyone's email that i could find in the top 50 in the world ranking um of women to to see if they can communicate anything to me that would make their sport different um i've had communication with some of the guys as well to see if there's anything that they they need or want or is useful to them you know i've tried along it's always the same people that come back with things for you um but equally i keep trying and keep trying to promote that and mariana is now um on the cross commission as the um, elected rider representative, so mm. yeah, women. I mean, having Sven and you and Mar- I mean Sven and Mariana, they're such big names as well. Like, yeah. it's it's not to detract from your involvement, but that's kind of like it's it, it makes it like they can't really brush it under the carpet when they've got like people like you who've got your Palmares and Sven's Palmares, like between you know, between and the ex riders, like you know when you can count up all your medals. 
Yeah. <laughs> and people go, no, that's not possible. You guys can just look at them with... <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's in, it is important to have riders that are respected, that whose decisions um, can be respected and, and can be agreed with. But it's also important to have... Um, to understand what it feels like to turn up to a bike race and not be allowed in the parking. And it also, which yeah. is something that Marianne and Sven have never had in their entire lives. And, you know, you know, when you're that good from 16 years old, you're already a world champion. It's like, yeah, it's Marianne. She goes wherever she wants to. Or well, that's Sven, you know, he goes wherever he wants to. It's, it's, so it's also good to have someone that, like myself, that has come from England, that has, you know, gone out in there crappy little Peugeot 205 which I loved by the way apart from when it was on a hot day and the heating the engine would overheat and you have to turn the heating on full that got really sweaty but like you know who understand what it feels like to have nothing and to to be a European in Europe racing to be a British person yeah. in Belgium yeah. racing um or to be a Canadian or an American or something you know someone that is automatically slightly looked down on because of their nationality before they even ride a race so, you know, it is important that, that the small guy is represented and hopefully um, hopefully I can do that. And Marianne is incredibly approachable, so it's not like she wouldn't listen to when people say, yeah. you know, this doesn't work or this isn't helpful for the sport or, you know, I can't get selected for Worlds because my nation doesn't believe that taking riders to Worlds. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that, that, was, that, that was one of the that was one of the changes I really, really liked that if you can, you, you can, you get to go. You know what I mean? That was one of the things that really, really bothered me in the past about that, you know, that, you know, with seeing people who were legit proper riders, but who weren't allowed to race because their country wouldn't give them permission. Yeah. Yeah. Hurrah. So looking ahead to 2015, 2016, I mean, are there any more surprises coming up? Last year, you got the Koffenberg Cross to be the first C1 race to give equal prize money to women as to men. Is there anything yeah. else you can tell us? Any 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 sne- any things that you know about on the horizon? Um, I don't actually. Uh, Koffenberg is going to be equal again this year, I think. Excellent. Um, I think Specialized are taking over the sponsorship. Um, um, no, there's nothing. There's nothing dramatic. Um, there's slightly more prize money at World Cups, and then there's the double prize money for the overall. Yeah. Super Prestige has a um, an overall. So which, exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting because they are really good races. Um, so so that's cool, and and that again is a knock-on effect from you know changing a simple rule that's free to change, like saying people. You know, you make a rule and you say, okay, the women need to be before the men. And they're like, well, why? What does that do? And you say, well, actually, in three years since that rule was written, last year they didn't do it. But this year they have to put the women before the men. Because they put the women before the men, last year they knew they were going to have to do it. They paid contracts for the whole series, um, which is the first time ever. And that's good because it gets the best riders there. Because it's before the men, they know they have to put a good event on. So, again, they have to pay contracts for the series. And the thing to keep the riders actually trying to focus on that series and not just turn up because it's another race they can try and win, they've actually put an overall in. And because, directly because of the fact we made a rule that said women's races have to be before men's, in three seasons, they suddenly, we've got another... 8,000 euros for first place, you know, it's like, and, and they're the kind of things that I really want to do on the commission that can, that, that you might not think immediately, oh, it doesn't really do anything. But when you look down the line, you can look back and say, yeah, because of what we did, this is happening. Yeah. I mean, for people who don't know before, basically one of the problems was that women's cyclocross races in a big race series like Super Receipt, they put the women on before the junior men and the under 23 men, which meant that there weren't the crowds, there wasn't the media, blah, blah, blah. And it's a little bit like having, you know, the thing about the parking, which some people are like, oh, well, you know, parking, that doesn't make a big difference. But it means that when the elite women and elite men are parking together, it makes life easier for the journalists, for the media, and actually for the elite women to feel like they're elite racers, doesn't it? It's like they, they, they can be seen quite small it's things. It's to learn about the riders and get up. Yeah. Excellent. So um, is there any changes to your bike? Are you still riding Helen Wyman tyres? Um, I have Shimano this year, which is a change from SRAM, um, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still, it's, it's, it's still, it's not really anything. 
anything really exciting. Is, my new kit is basically the most exciting thing. Well, your new kit is very exciting. And if people want to see it, it's beautiful. Oh, I saw a couple of guys complaining that they couldn't get guy versions of the kits. Do you have any comments on that? <laughs> um, yeah, there should be guy versions. Um, because they said they were making guy versions. So um, I this morning to find out when they're available cool so basically anyone who wants to buy their favorite cyclocrossy friendly guy a kit for christmas then yeah keep 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 watching this space excellent yeah definitely I, i'm not i'm not like, unequal yeah equality works both ways excellent so you know so basically exciting kits i'm sorry i think your kit's beautiful if i if i actually rode my bike i'd buy it <laughs> excellent <laughs> Excellent. Well, good luck in the States. Um, where, when are you back in Europe? Um, I'm back for Geaton, which is the first weekend of October. So I've got Vegas and then I come back, I do midnight ride at my clinic again, and then I go to Gloucester and then I fly home that night. So, And Amira and Hannah are staying out um, for uh, through to the same time as well, which is quite exciting. And so also to say thank you to everybody that um, gave on their Just Giving page to get them here. They're really excited and it's going to be a mega trip, trip for them. And every single person that donated has actually inspired them that little bit that hopefully keeps them in sport too. Cool. And so if people are out there um, and want to come to your cross clinic or want to, you know, should um, or they or they just want to talk to you at a race, they should just come up to you, right? Yeah, they should just come up to me. The cross clinic is on bike reg, which is a, a really cool American system where you reg for where you register registration is the I don't know how you say that in English, apart from the short version of reg register. So you, where you register for your bike race, um, it's a really cool thing out here. And uh, it, my clinic is on that, so you can just look it up and reg. And uh, yeah, and then just come and chat and. Excellent. And finally, um, if people want to talk to you and find you on the internet, obviously your kit is on velocio.cc. Yeah, and also there's a link to it on my website. Um, and there'll be a link to the cross clinics I hope to start running next year soon. And um, there's also my, so it's helenwyman.com. And um, I'm on Twitter and I have a fan page on Facebook. And that's about it. Yeah, you're CX Helen on Twitter, aren't you? And Facebook, just look for Helen Wyman. Yeah. Excellent. Well, and all the links, we'll put links to um, all of this on my blog, prowomenscycling.com. And I'll also put links to how to watch the uh, Cross Vegas, the first World Cup of this season, live. Woohoo! So people can cheer you on from home. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Well, thank you very, very <laughs> thank much. Thank you, Sarah. And good luck for the year. Thank you.